How come a couple of cats from Harlem come downtown this morning looking for John Shaft? Well, they're soul brothers. They came down so I could teach them the handshake. They find you? Of course, I wasn't hiding. If you find out anything, give me a call, huh? I'm still at the 38th precinct. Right on. Hey, where the hell are you going, Chef? To get laid. Where the hell are you going? <laughs> Chris Gowser here with Matt Howell. Buckle up, kiddos. It's time for Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. Do you enjoy sprawling epics revealing truths about our country's past and perhaps ourselves? Or are you complaining about its three and a half hour runtime? Do you consider Scorsese's films like going to the DMV? Are you a jerk? Do you wonder if you're a jerk? By the end of the show, you'll know. Then the dearth of supernatural haunted scarecrow movies, Matt, is over. We're going to be discussing Dark Harvest. There'll be the spine-tingling rundown of the big releases on physical media featuring your streaming and straight-to-DVD picks of the week. Almost tripped on it right there. And then Matt and I are going to go ahead and wrap up the show with another round of your favorite role-playing game, Who Dat? So grab some talcum powder, drop it down that rubber suit, turn down the lights, and listen to the latest episode of the first run. So let it wash over you, fellow jerks. I should say fellow non-jerks as i ruin my own joke and listen to a clip from killers of the flower moon shows itself to you that bill smith didn't take the proper care of many the way he could have the haversake and die take the head rights and the land that oil which should go to her sister's your wife well he's taking money that by right should go to molly the mother lizzie She won't last. Most Osage don't live past 50. With these women dying, with how Osage suffer from illness, you have to make it the head rights come to you. You see? You see, Matt? Matt, you see? I see. Oh, I see. Matt, what is Martin Scorsese's? Based on the book, The Killers of the Flower Moon, and the, uh, what is the birth of the FBI? Mm-hmm. Right. Was that yes. a station of that story? Yeah, The Osage Murders and the Birth of the FBI. Thank you very much. What is this movie all about? Well, the Osage uh, Indian tribe has been moved to a reservation. Uh, on that reservation, they discover oil. And they all become incredibly rich. Osage becomes a boom town, and it brings in all kinds of outsiders, mostly white people, looking to get their hands on said money. Now, one individual coming back from World War I named Ernest Burkhart um, comes to visit his rancher uncle who lives in the area and falls in love with a local Osage woman when it comes to find out that his uncle may not be the trustworthy ally of the people in the town that they come to believe that he is. Matt, let me ask you, is Killers of the Flower Moon the best film you've seen this year? 
I was asking myself that question while I was watching this. Is this the best movie? It's a great movie, but I don't know if it's the best. And but I also struggle with the fact is this movie this movie year's kind of sucked. So I don't. I'm having trouble thinking what would be up against this. I think would it be Oppie. Mm. Oppenheimer be mm-hmm. like the big uh, the big Oscar bait that we have the, at this point. Yeah, exactly. I mean. I think that's my next question is Oscar season has begun. Am I correct right. in that as well? I would say that's true. Yeah. So when we're deep, the, the fourth quarter has properly started. We're going to get the next like month and a half of just, you know, art piece after art piece, indie darling after indie darling, you know, uh, things that Chris is going to fall in love with, uh, meditations on whatever relationship. And, uh, you know, he's going to declare that it's the best thing that he's ever seen in a long time. So we're in that season. It's not just spooky season. That's very true. I mean, what so you have, all right, you got Oppie, right? Your boy, Mission yeah. Impossible, Dead Reckoning. I mean, it's tough to say. I mean, I wouldn't, I enjoyed Dead Reckoning, but it's not like I thought it was a groundbreaking movie. And we'll talk about that in uh, Who Dat. What about Babs? Bar- Barbie? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'm on record several times on this show saying that I, I, uh, in, well, I, I like the movie. I don't think it's as great as everybody's making it out to be. How to blow up a pipeline? Uh, I would say that is a more propulsive and entertaining film, and it's a more, I think, immediately relevant film. I, I would watch that again before I pick this up again. I think. It. Mm, I I dislike you for that statement. Why? Because Killers of the Flower Moon is the best film so far I've seen this year. Hands down. I don't even have to think about it. Really? Immediately. It's my... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't know. I felt like... I don't mean to be dismissive of your opinions, Chris. I mean, but you're dismissive of mine, usually. And I will say that I feel like you're... You're drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit. It's a weak year. It's a Scorsese film. It's well acted. It looks good. But I don't think it's... I don't even think it gets anywhere near his best work at all. Oh wow, no. Jim Jones me all night long. That's I don't agree with that at all. I think that uh this is up there, I think, with Marty's best work. I think that this is Well, it's okay, Chris. We can you can be and you often are, even though you don't acknowledge it, incorrect. But go ahead. <laughs> it is a very it is a full, rich experience, Matt. It's filled with nuance and subtlety. It's basically a gangster movie, right? It's Marty going back to the well. I guess one last time, maybe. I, or I would say time. that's a bit of a stretch, but go ahead. Well, it's an organized group of people, maybe sl- loosely organized, who are using their abilities to uh, and the levers, um, even of government, to s- steal the land of these uh, native people and steal their their money. And I I think that in its core, it's it's somewhat. And I and I say that as a way to as a basically as a joke because of people who say that he only kind of makes. You know, sure. gangster movies, right? There's that sure. dumb, 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 dumb. Yeah, those dumb people are dumb. Yeah, that's, that's true. But it's not like a, it, his films, and I think The Irishman was where this began. And I will say, Matt, I think, though I enjoyed The Irishman, I, I felt, I think, at the time that maybe he had lost a mile or two off of his fastball mm-hmm. after watching that one. And here, he's discovered the fountain youth, I think, for this. I think his... His flourishes are more restrained and tactful now, and I think he's dedicated to telling this story and giving it the honor that it requires. And it's I it was, I mean, I didn't really, I didn't feel the three and a half hours of its runtime. Mm-hmm. I think it is. It I think the pacing of this thing is 
is great. It's going to keep you your interest the whole time. And it's just it is an exceptionally, I think, powerful film held up by the performances of its well, its two leads and its mm-hmm. supporting character. So we're talking about, uh, you know, Leo, Bobby um, is a supporting, but then Gladstone, who we're going to talk about a little bit, I think, mm-hmm. as well. And it's, man, I don't know, Matt. I just, I found so much depth and there's so much to take in on this film. Robbie Robertson going out on an, a high note as, as well, providing the score for mm-hmm. this film, this being kind of the last work that he did prior to his passing. And it, it just was a riveting experience for me. And I think it, I think it is up there with the best of his work. I really think this is a, a Scorsese masterpiece of a film. I do. If we had time, I wish we could rank them. I don't think we do have time, but I think when you say that, you're going to find that it's in, in solidly in the second tier. No, I think because it's, there is, it's just a, for me, it's a master at the height of his craft, taking everything he's learned. It doesn't have the, the brashness, the insanity, uh, the, maybe the energy and excitement of some of his older, his taxi drivers, his other work. Mm-hmm. But I feel just as a story being told. Right. This is one of the, it's one of the best ways to tell the story. It's one of the best told stories I've seen in the cinema, at least this year, and, a, and one of the best ones he's ever presented to us. I'm like, like Hugo, I mean, Hugo's fun, right? Hugo's good. All the stuff that he, let's let's just briefly kind of look at his last stuff. So the Departed, where he finally won his Oscar. Mm-hmm. This is better than the Departed. I don't. What, what would you? So uh, let, let's reset. What do you consider top tier, Marty? Then you're going to say what? Raging Bull, Taxi yep. Driver. Yep. Um, you're going to go Good Mean fellas. Streets. Good fellas. Good fellas. Uh, mean Streets, Casino. Casino. All right, so that's five. Yeah. So we're already at past the top five. Um, what's What's after that? I mean, Last Temptation of Christ, Silence, yeah. The Irishman. Um, I, and like I said, I don't, I don't think this is a bad movie. I think it's a great movie. I'm just saying that I, I, I can't gush over it. I would say it's solid second tier Marty. I mean, it doesn't hold a candle. Those top five films are some of the best films ever made. And like, I don't, I, I don't even think it gets anywhere close to sniffing the farts of those movies. I'm just, <laughs> I just, I just, it just doesn't. I mean, it's good. I think it, I wouldn't, I don't know if I would rank it above those but if I'm giving you a group of films that you have to watch from this director, it's in that group. It's caught in that net. If somebody said, give me the top five, are you putting this in the top five? We went, we just went through five films. If said, give me the guy's five best films. Is that even getting into the discussion? For me, it is. It's going to be bottom five. That is, that is so incorrect. So. so what goes, what, it, what are you ditching? What are you ditching? Mean streets? All right. Probably that, or maybe even. So what do we we got? So I feel like we've gotten entirely derailed here already. <laughs> we have, we have, but that's that's part of the beauty of the discussion. You're very passionate about these things. I've quickly lost a lot of my passion. It takes a lot to say that I to get you really jazzed up, and I I think this is a great film. I just don't think in a in a career that is filled with some of the quintessential you know examples of american I, cinema i just don't think that it gets to that level i think it's i think it is great late career 
Scorsese, but I don't think it it gets close to his peak. I think we're here's the thing. I think we're doing a disservice to this by even having this conversation right now. I don't, I don't think I don't think that we have to pull something out to do to do a top five for this type of thing. I think that this can exist as one of his best films. I don't think that's I think that's fine. I'm not yeah. doing a call it on this right now. I think yeah, it's, but I, I guess I guess really all I'm just trying to say is you're gushing about this film. I'm just trying to temper that back a little bit. I'm just trying to challenge your perception. That's all. I mean, if you really feel that way, that's fine. I'm just saying for our listener out there that, you know, maybe you need to walk it back a little bit. I'm just, that's no. all I'm saying. I'm not saying, yes, I think you do. I think you do. Yeah. I I think it's one of the best things he's done. And it's not dismissive of his other works. I I love all those films as well. Right. I okay. would just bring that in as part if you're of the discussion of of the masterpiece films that this director has made and this mm-hmm. belongs as part of that grouping. That's all I'm saying. I think that while it, this there's there's an like I don't think he could make this film in 1976 or 1990, right? Mm-hmm. I think that he had to get to this level in his career and his age in his experience to produce this film. That's all I'm saying. And it's, it's just, it was just a wonderful. Isn't the right word though, because it's, it's, I didn't get filled with wonder, but as I think a deeply moving film, it's, it's not the passion project that like silence was, I think Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. him, but I think it's still, still a lot of those things. There's a lot of those themes kind of running through here. And I want so let's, Transition a little bit and talk about the actual film itself <laughs> instead of being stupid film bro guys and ranking movies. So let's talk. Let's start off with what do you want to start with, Bobby D or Leo? Uh, I I would have to say Leo. I think okay. I think Bobby I think Bobby D's good, but I think Leo brings I think is the as far as the leads is the I think the the one the one A to this here. That's fine. I think De Niro. I think I think De Niro. I think DiCaprio is great. Of course, he. He and, and Scorsese really, I think, disguise the internal conflicts that I think that DiCaprio's character has here. I think because he is not a bright guy, mm-hmm. right? And he kind of gets pulled under the wing of his his evil, I guess, basically uncle, mm-hmm. and marries our our, our where he marries. I'm so upset right now. I got to I got to recenter myself. <laughs> he marries Molly Burkhart's character. Michael Carey, Mary's Molly Burkhardt is a way to kind of you know, infiltrate and get his hands on her land, basically. And like he is actively like, do you, does he, and this is going to be a spoiler discussion, so let's just get that out of the way. Does he, do you think, because I think he, he is clearly aware of it, but he's just kind of so powerless in his relationship with his uncle that there's nothing he can do about it. Though, and he, I think he does love her as well, but is he aware that he's poisoning her, slowly killing her? Um, I think that there is, in the beginnings of it, there's probably some plausible deniability. They don't really tell him what it is. They just kind of say, and give this to her too, right? And you It'll know, slow her down. Yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's gullible enough, and he's trusting enough of these people to say that, you know, they're doctors. Like, what do I know? They're telling me to do this or whatever. Um, but at the end, of course, at some point, he pours it into his own whiskey and gets uh, stoned off his own stash, right? So, but a- again... 
as you said, he's not a smart person. And I don't know if he knows that this is bad for her. Um, I know he knows it's not working. He keeps trying to make it work. So I, I, I don't know if there's a good answer for that. I think you can make the case either way. And I think that's maybe one of the strengths of that particular thread is that he really could be know what he's doing. Um, or he maybe just really doesn't, despite all the bad stuff that he's done. He doesn't, I, I don't think that he necessarily knows. Because himself seems, as a villain. Yeah, because, and like, he doesn't, I don't think he would do anything knowingly to hurt her, her person directly in his little Well, but unit. forget, though, at the end of the film, when she asks him what was in the medicine mm-hmm. and he won't answer, and that's when she steps up and goes. Right. So I think, like, I think that, I think I really just answered my own question. I think it just led us down a bad path. But that's what I do around here. Uh, and I, what well, I, think I, don't, is, I don't. I don't know if that's true though, because he so? says, "She says, what else did you give me?" And yeah. like he says, he says, "Well, I just gave you the insulin." Where, you know, maybe he's come to realize. Who knows what Hale has told him that you were poisoning your wife? He may know it after the fact. I don't really know. Yeah, that's true. But um, so who knows? So I love too how Scorsese kind of tries to mask uh, Leo's character in this film and what he's doing. Right, like. Because he, he he'll portray him as this almost morally ambiguous guy who's just kind of going along for the ride. Who's like, you know, maybe he's not entirely evil, but he's not mm-hmm. entirely good. But then he'll tease us with these teases, but he'll show us these little flashbacks of him actually doing some pretty rotten evil stuff, right? right. And it's I think he just perfectly embodies that character here, the banality of evil, who's just dumb enough to go along with everything. Mm-hmm. And then we'll get the reveal of who get who kills who type of a thing, and. uh um, and there's lots of little moments like too, like when he's waving to the town comptroller, I guess, who also happens to be the grand wizard of the clan, right? right. I mean, lots of little things like that. So uh, I think that DiCaprio is just fantastic in this, in his moral—I don't want to say ambiguity, but just a a gray shaded guy who is happy, pleased with himself, or totally—I don't know, pleased, but just totally willing. To go to the dark side and do what he thinks his uncle basically wants him to do. And he, I think he does think that he loves Molly. I think he does think he does. Right. He doesn't know better, maybe. I'm not sure. Well, I think he, I think he really does know. I think he really does love her. I just think that he's, like you said, he's too weak-willed. He's, you know, too eager to please. You know, he just does what his uncle tells him. You know, what his brother tells him. And he just kind of, again, a lot of this stuff, he just passes it on to other people. He doesn't pull the trigger on most of this stuff, right? He just knows it's happening and he kind of finds a patsy to do it for him, right? He's just too... I think it's almost like he's so dumb that he can kind of hold these two competing ideas, you know, in his mind at the same time and not think that there's anything, like there's a barrier that they're not crossing in his own head. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fair. So what about Bobby D? What are your thoughts about Bobby? I, what's the crazy thing about De Niro is that he'll come around and he'll, he'll do these, I think, great dramatic roles. And then he'll do this really just god-awful comedy mm. that uh, no likes. one's... He has fun with it. <laughs> Let the man have fun. I guess so. We should have done the, like a double of that with the war with, war with Grandpa or something mm. like that. But I think De Niro here is the kindly uncle, right, who's ready to stab you in the back. All you need to know for him in this film is that there's this whole key scene where... 
He's desperate to keep this guy alive, keep him from killing himself, just so he can reach a maturity date on a life insurance right. policy so he can cash in. Yeah, right. And just that, that it's kind of kindly old gentlemanly uncle grandfather who is just rotten to his core. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, definitely got a, uh, an off-putting performance, and it's all very kind of snake in the grass, you know, smiles, hiding daggers kind of thing, but... It's all, again, he is as this kind of grand mastermind of greed and, and this whole kind of downfall and stuff. He he seems maybe, maybe like a half a step smarter than Ernest Burkhardt is. I mean, like he's just as like, you know, flummoxed by things that don't go his way. And it's just, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's just amazing to think of that these two managed to pull all this off along with, you know, all of their co-conspirators and accomplices. I think too, from what I've read, that the book itself doesn't exactly it doesn't show that this is some grand conspiracy. Everybody was working together. It was actually each kind of group doing things for their own benefit. Like I supposedly, like the doctors in real life mm-hmm. were actively poisoning the Native Americans, mm-hmm. but not in conjunction with some greater plan of anything. They just happened to be doing it of their own accord, yeah. and then would do it. I guess at the behest of people once in a while too. Yeah, right. Just a real vile experience there so then i think matt for me and it's getting all the praise and i and i think deservedly so let's talk about lily gladstone yeah i found her performance in this just an absolute i think for me bj colangelo i think we're a really interesting article i think for slate or slash film i can't remember so i think for slash film i'll link it in the show notes about how she potentially is just too good in this film where she'll get passed over for an Academy Award, which I think mm-hmm. would be a tragic mistake. Mm-hmm. Some people complaining, like, how good she can she be? She's not in the film as much as Leo. Is she mm-hmm. even a, a, a lead in this film? And mm-hmm. she is petitioning, I guess, at, as a lead when it comes to the Oscars or competing as such. Yeah. And I think she is the core of this film. Even when she's not in the scene, her presence is there she overwhelms i think every scene of this film and it it begins with her uh you know for me everything when i truly was just sucked into this thing is when she is getting her shots of insulin Mm -hmm. from him and she like she doesn't know who to trust anymore Mm -hmm. and she just resigns herself that she's going to trust him because she loves him and he she thinks he loves her Mm -hmm. and uh just that feeling of loss as everything around her entire world is crumbling around her and the most times matt it's just glances it's looks there's so much happening behind this woman's eyes in this film and it you could just see it cast this shroud over all everything that happens and it's just just a powerhouse performance matt it's it's still measured mostly stoic and uh but every time man she shows up but she sucks the oxygen out of the room and it was just uh, i was really blown away by it yeah she is she is fantastic in this role i mean she certainly brings a, a quiet dignity and kind of pathos to the whole proceedings and i think she is the kind of stealth star of this thing i don't think this thing works as well as it does you know no matter how good um de niro and um DiCaprio, I blanked on his name there for one of the most famous actors of our time. Well, you put um, on about four hours of sleep, so yeah, I appreciate right. you sticking it out. Yeah, um, yeah, I, 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 you know, I think without her, this isn't as successful 
as yeah. it is. And I think she's kind of the linchpin to this whole thing. And honestly, again, you know, outside of Margot Robbie being pretty much a lock, like, I don't know who else, who's her competition as far as who's going to get nominated over her kind of thing. I think, uh, I'm hard pressed to think of anybody that I'd put in that kind of category as far as the, the Oscars go. Although we still have two and a half months left and I'm sure we'll get something. So. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, we're going to get through that first. So, uh, I think too, I like about this film, Matt, I guess in the book, it plays out much more like a procedural, and the whole thing is kind of uh, uh, off what uh, Jesse Plemons is America's sweetheart, uh, his character, Tom White, as the uh, agent, right? It, it kind of plays out more like that in the book, and I think that, and I love the idea of flipping that on its head and focusing everything. I think that's the way the story needed to be told is through the Osage Nation and through basically uh, uh, Molly Burkhart's story through her eyes instead. Yeah, I mean, this was that's what this that's what the book is. It's not about the Burkharts. It's not about this kind of, you know, this tragic love story or this kind of betrayal, this family betrayal. Or that's not what it's about at all. It's about the birth of the the Federal Bureau of Investigation and Tom White's investigation into the happenings in this town and the Osage murders. Now, obviously, it focuses on kind of what brings all of this into sharp focus is what happens to Molly Burkhardt and her family and her sisters and her mother and everybody around them. But it's not about them. And in fact, initially DiCaprio was cast as Tom White and he was going to be the main character and focus. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be more of a, you know, crime, you know, investigation procedural, as you put it thing. And I guess as they started to work on it, you know, Marty, Scorsese <laughs> realized that it's um that it's really the focus should be on this Burkhart care and they they said you know what you know, we're gonna have Leo play this person and then they brought in Jesse Plemons to be you know Tom White later in the film as kind of a side character almost yeah and it didn't even show up really until the last act right the last right. basically 45 minutes last hour of the film it's doesn't that doesn't that procedural doesn't even really begin until then and then I guess briefly, Matt, I want to talk about for me another one of the more powerful moments. And I think a perfect capper for the film is the coda. Mm-hmm. When we're doing a radio play, we're watching basically a live radio play be broadcast. And that's where we get our, 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 uh, our, our not our prologue, our, um, what do you call it? Epilogue. Mm-hmm. Where we find out what happens to everybody mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the film. And one of the key moments for me too, and I think why I love the film as much as I do is Scorsese delivers the obituary for Molly. Mm-hmm. And it is it is such a great, interesting, fascinating decision to me to do that. Because I think that it's at that point he acknowledges, I think, that that's how the story should have been, was, was meant to be told, was in this way, through her perspective. And then to deliver it that way. I actually like gasped out loud when I saw, mm-hmm. when he took the mic and started talking and delivering her, her obituary. I was just, I was absolutely stunned and floored by it. And I was like, that's perfect. That's perfect. And then the final capper for the film. And I think what pushed me over the edge, Matt into, I think an A plus on this film, I'm serious is the end credits where the storm starts. Mm-hmm. Robbie Robertson's score stops and it kind of fades out. And then, the storm comes in and mm-hmm. that plays out to the rest of the credits and then everything goes black and just a master work, Matt. I don't know. what do you think of the coda? Yeah, it's, I, 
was expecting a lot. I didn't know what to expect from the coda. I had heard, you know, the ending is a gut punch and it's like that scene and stuff like that. And it came on and I thought it was good, but it didn't, I don't know. I guess I'm just dead inside. It did it did not have that impact on me. Um, I can't say that I gasped out loud. Well, well when, when Scorsese came on, I'm a, I'm a sensitive guy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, apparently. apparently. Matt, what's your grade? I'm going to give this an A minus. I it's, it's a great film. I, I can't get on Chris's wavelength and on how, you know, as the, as, as, as I'd say masterpiece and maybe it will, maybe, you know, it's hard for me to kind of, uh, you know, you either feel the way Chris does as soon as you watch the film and the second you, the, the last credit rolls and like you immediately feel that or you don't. And I think it is a great piece of art. I just didn't connect with it. Like Chris did. You know what I noticed too is that the line in this trailer where she says, "Do you still love me? Will you kill these men for murdering mm-hmm. my family?" Mm-hmm. It's not in the film. Yeah, you're right. I don't remember on the cutting room floor somewhere. I'm sure we'll get the five and a half hour director's cut. Uh, that's sure to come out on on this when it hits Apple Plus. Well, I think what it is too is a really interesting piece of marketing because it fooled me into thinking that Leo was going to take a hero turn mm-hmm. for his family and for his wife. And it it's probably happen. cut from when he was still playing Tom White in like the early versions of the dailies or something. And they just slipped it in there. Oh, that's interesting. Now, here's my last question for you. What I'm really, really nervous about. Really, really nervous about. Okay. Uh, for two things, I guess. One, it's doing, it's, it's performing well for a three and a half hour movie. Right. Now, it costs two bills to make. It's pulled in 46. Right. So... All right. I think the runtime is scaring people away. Plus, they may think, well, this is going to be on Apple TV in sure. the beginning of 2024. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll just go, I'll just stay home and watch it then, which I'm sure would have been Matt's preference. <laughs> but does that rob us of a physical release? Well, that Apple TV. Yeah. Um, it might. It very well might. I mean, so let's see. Does The Irishman have a physical release? It does, but that was Netflix. And Criterion right. released it. So per- perhaps... I don't, has, I don't think... Has Apple TV put out something in physical media yet? Any of their films? I, I'm not aware, but I, I'll be honest with you. I haven't dug really deeply into the Apple catalog. Does Roma have a, a, a physical release? I'm just yes, kind of going does. by the... I'm just trying to go and by I the... I own it. It is, uh, again, Netflix and Criterion. Well, I'm just kind of going by the streaming Oscar bait films is really what I'm kind of basing this off of not necessarily that it's apple in and of itself i think the key would be coda that would be the one to check right because coda was an apple tv movie and it won best picture Mm -hmm. and i don't remember if it was put out on blu-ray so let's find out together fans and i'm not seeing it there's a couple codas but it's not that coda i wonder if it was really it says u.s english hmm this is some great podcasting right here. <laughs> when did that come out? Was it 2022? 2021. 2021, yeah. Let's just go on to the Amazons. It's not on Amazon. I'm looking on it right now. And it's not on Amazon. All right. Well, there there could be... There we go, I guess. Is it... Oh, it was really simple, Ray. Here we go. Okay. Yeah, it's on eBay. So it's just so, a limited print run thing that's you can't get anymore. 
Like my beloved Dewey Cox. That's it. I think they're putting that back out. So. Are they? No, that's good. Yeah. I wonder if it was a, uh, it might be an international release though. Mm-hmm. May have to import it. Not happening. <sighs> it's frustrating. I would like to own this film and watch it again. This is the first movie I've seen this year that I wanted to go back to the theaters and watch it again. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Feedback at firstrun.com. Killers of the Flower Moon currently playing in a theater near you. Would love to hear your thoughts. Even if you disagree with me, which I guess is fine. Matt, here's what's coming up on physical media this upcoming Tuesday. That is October 31st. Happy Halloween, freaks. Now, it's a museum piece now. We really should preserve it for posterity. Except it's such good crystal and I'd hate to break up the set. Out of this, David Kentley had his last drink. It should have been ginger ale or even beer. I've always thought it was uh, out of character for David to drink anything as, as corrupt as whiskey. Out of character for him to be murdered, too. <laughs> yes, wasn't it? The good Americans usually die young on the, on the battlefield, don't they? Well, the Davids of this world nearly occupy space, which is why he was the perfect victim for the perfect murder. Of course, he, uh, he was a Harvard undergraduate. <laughs> that might make it justifiable homicide. Matt, Rope is one of the uh, three films. Uh, I guess if you throw in the thing, that would be four. That I just get obsessed with every year. I'll watch it over and over again for like a week or a two week span. And I'll watch it like once a day or once every day or two. And I just, I don't know what it is. It's just, I, it possesses me. And it's being released in 4K along with a bunch of other uh, Hitchcock films. This is the wave three of the Hitchcock 4Ks, which includes The Man Who Knew Too Much, Torn Curtain, Topaz, and Frenzy. So uh, I will be upgrading my Rope Blu-ray to 4K. I don't think I'm going to bother with the other ones. I have okay. my Blu-ray and I don't think I want to, I don't, I don't think I need that upgrade, but rope, one of my all time favorites. The other ones of course are uh brick mm-hmm. and then Glengarry Glen Ross is another one that I will watch like over and over again. Nice. Well, we're, oh wow. I got to give you a number, don't I? Yeah. Number five. Retribution. This is the latest Liam Neeson actioner. He plays a bank executive who receives a bomb threat while driving his children to school. That his car will explode if they stop and get out. It's a remake of a 2015 Spanish film, Matt, called El... Oh, boy. Disconcido? Disconcido? Disconcido. Sure. I didn't take Spanish, so sounds good to me. Neither did I. Four! Arrow is putting out Witness. You can get a Blu-ray or a 4K version of this. It's a nice deluxe edition. A vintage 85 interview with Harrison Ford. Um, a five-part archival documentary on the making of the film called Between Two Worlds, a deleted scene from the network TV version of the film. A limited edition version here comes with a 60-page uh, booklet with uh, new writings and illustrations and a fold-out double-sided poster featuring the original newly commissioned artwork and six double-sided collector's postcards. Matt, I've never seen Witness all the way through. Have you? Yeah, I have. I've seen I've seen it before. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's great. No, well, I mean it's. I mean, what is the what is there to say about it? It's one of those Harrison Ford films that he made. That's not Han Solo, Indiana Jones, or Jack Ryan. I mean, basically, it's in that you know presumed innocence uh, phase of his career. 
That's true. I like Presumed Innocent. I haven't watched that in a long time. <laughs> it's three coffins ready. Uh-huh. Mac Returna is putting out Nanny. Uh, Aisha is an immigrant nanny who pierced, piecing together Matt, a new life in New York City, while caring for the child of an Upper East Side family. She's forced to confront a concealed truth that threatens to shatter her precarious American dream. Brand new 4K master approved by the director, Niyatsu Yusu. A new program featuring Yusu, actors Annie Diop and Michelle Monaghan, as well as the director of photography, uh, Rena Yang. And then, Matt, here's a film that I thought was fun. Looks like we're shy one horse. <laughs> you brought two too many. Blue Beetle, Matt, getting released on physical media. The um, sort of, kind of, first film in the new James Gunn universe type thing. That he liked it, and it is this will be the same actor playing Blue Beetle in the DC films going forward. If you buy it from Best Buy, you can get the 4K steelbook. If you buy it from Walmart, you get the Blu-ray in a steelbook. And Target has a unique slip case and some art cards. And there's a uh, making of featurettes and a bunch of other stuff. And um, I may pick up Blue Beetle if it gets to like that $10 range for 4K. But that would be it, I think, for me. What about you? Yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm going to pick it up. I think I'm okay. Yeah. 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 There can be only one. This one I'll be getting at some point, but I'm going to wait again. I think maybe, you know what? I should be in lockdown mode anyway because Black Friday is a uh, quick approaching map. But Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 is mm. being released. There is a steel book available, includes a commentary by uh, Christopher McQuarrie and a couple making a feature that's focusing on, you know, the exotic locales. There's a deleted shots uh, montage as well, but it's only available as part of the digital copy. And uh, another digital only version called the editorial featurette featuring uh, McQuarrie and the editor, Eddie Hamilton, kind of take viewers through some of the uh, the uh, opening scene of the film. Matt, also being released in 4K, Schindler's List gets a 30th anniversary Universal Essentials collection release and a steelbook from Best Buy. And then Animal House joins the uh, Universal Essentials um, special collection banner there. Mm. Your straight to DVD pick of the week, Matt. American Ninja 1 and 2. Michael Dudikoff's film, Matt, prepare for electrifying martial arts magic and breathtaking action. As a young American becomes one of the greatest masters of ninjutsu in American Ninja. Stationed in the Philippines, 18-year-old U.S. Army Private Joe Armstrong, played, of course, by Mr. Dudikoff, is escorting a supply convoy when it's ambushed by rebels, one of whom he recognizes as a black ninja warrior. Instinctively, Joe defends himself upon the esoteric martial arts of ninjutsu, an ability that puts him under suspicion by his commander and fellow soldiers alone in his fight mad against corruption. The boy finally discovers the secret of his mysterious past, a secret that pits him against the evil Black Star Ninja and the ultimate martial arts battle. And he can get part two as well. Matt, I've never seen uh, either of the American Ninja films. Have you? I must have a long time ago, but I, I don't remember anything about them. But I have to have in my in my martial arts uh, watching youth, especially back yeah in the ninja craze in the eighties. Uh, there, Matt, what should we be streaming this week? Well, um, you've got a lot of things, a lot of options. So, full disclosure, I haven't seen this, but I fully intend to, and I hear it's pretty good. But uh, no hard feelings. Star Jennifer Lawrence. The mm. raunchy sex comedy is available for your streaming right now as we record this on Netflix. On Friday, 1027, when this show comes out, just in time for you to hate yourself for Halloween, when Evil Lurks is going to be available on Shudder. And if you want to wait till 1031 and make uh, one half of the show very happy, you can check out Haunting in Venice on Hulu on Halloween. (laughs) 
I saw online that they're not putting out on 4K, just a Blu-ray. Really, Chris? Yeah. I, 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 I think it's over, man. I think it's over. I, 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 I like we said last week, or maybe it was the week before. I think this is physical media, especially 4Ks, are going to be boutique, you know, expensive things like they're going to be niche items like fancy vinyl that you collect like you're not going to be able to very soon get them at all without spending like through the nose for them yeah well i mean it's in a weird way it's the golden age of physical media but only for people who want to have physical media like there's so much stuff that's coming out now yeah but a lot of it's in those boutique labels unfortunately but there is, though, I mean, Kino Lorber is putting out, I don't know if you consider them boutique per se, but they just started their Kino Cult line that announced their first three films coming out. And there are labels getting into this stuff. Universal has that Essentials collection. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. It's just that I think part of the challenge is the retailers. I wonder if that's what it's going to be. Because we, we did get a Malignant 4K. Mm-hmm. I think part of it, too, is they want to see how this stuff sells before they want to dedicate the resources to producing a 4K disc. Right. And that's too bad, and that's frustrating. But I don't, in, in, in a weird way, I'm still kind of hopeful for the medium. It's just that I wonder if it's also going to price out certain people, younger people or people of more limited means who won't be able to uh, get all this stuff. Honestly, there's a huge portion of the population that's completely fine with watching stuff on their phone. What they watch on streaming is good enough to yeah. them, you know, and those are people who are just not going to win over They're The convenience and the availability and no additional cost than what you're already going to pay anyway is, is absolutely everything that they could want for it. For me, I'm much more selective than Chris's. I do like to have my favorites because they become hard to find or you can't find it. And yeah. you're glad you have it. And to be quite honest with you, you know, you buy, you spend all this money on these uh, really good-looking 4K TVs. It's really the only thing you could watch in 4K because it's not coming through your your uh, yeah. you know your your streaming signal that way, no matter what it may say. So, you know, I think there is a, I think there is, you know, a there's always going to be a market for it. There's always going to be a market for these kind of pieces of of entertainment, but I just think the, it's really going to contract, especially as you said, is like your brick and mortar retailers, which are struggling so much. Um, they're just going to get rid of the stuff that's not selling well. And I hate to say it, even it's getting hard to find stuff on Amazon. I mean, Amazon, like once it's like, once it's gone, it's gone. They like do a fire sale of whatever's left and then you're just not getting it. And then you're going to go pay through the nose on the secondary market on eBay for, you know, whatever it is that you want just because you missed the boat. Yeah. yeah. Listen, folks, make sure you, you patron like Viper video here in Tampa, uh, Diabolic DVD, Grindhouse video, and then Orbit DVD out of uh, Asheville. Mm. Uh, they're the ones, uh, they're carrying all this stuff. Diabolic is uh, probably the go-to place for imports. Orbit's good too. Grindhouse has some imports. They don't invest in it as much as Diabolical Orbit does. And uh, I'm like, that Hellraiser set is going to be here in about two weeks. And I cannot wait to dive into that thing. So physical media is not dead. It's just going to be a little harder to track down. You're going to pay a little more for it. I guess is where it's going to, it's going to be. <laughs> right. And that's going to be a deal killer for a lot of people. You really got to decide yeah. if you're in, you're in or you're out. Yeah. Dark harvest, Matt. Let's spend a few minutes <laughs> and talk about, I think an underutilized monster. Mm, I don't know why we don't have more. Yeah. Cause scarecrows are terrifying as all hell, bro. One of your classmates 
will certainly die. That thing grows all year long in our fields, only to rise up every Halloween night with a single solitary purpose, to destroy our way of life. Hey, we're gonna win this thing. It's like. You've all heard the stories about that one time we failed at our duties. And that black duster rolled in and destroyed our crops, our lives. It must die so we can live. Your sacred duty is to take down Sawtooth Jack before that church bell rings at midnight. And to get you fat little Nancys ready, we make you hungry for it. Three days. No food, no mommy, no nothing. I drink your milkshake. <laughs> that is Sheriff Daniel Plainview, played mm. by Luke Kirby, uh, who I think was fantastic in A Marvelous Mrs. Maisel as Lenny Bruce. Mm. But uh, he is clearly channeling Daniel Day-Lewis as Daniel Plainville in this film, like from start to finish. That's all. It just it just jumped off the screen at me, Matt, and it uh, just weird, bizarre, but kind of fun choices. And I could probably say that about this film, Matt. So Dark Harvest takes place in the early '60s, and if you're familiar with um, Shelley, oh boy, what is what's her last name? That's not good. Shirley Jackson. Shirley Jackson. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Is it Shirley Jackson? She wrote the, the lottery and stuff. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Look all at right. you. The short story, <laughs> the lottery. So basically, every year. There is a weird demon, weird kind of scarecrow thing that gets off of its post and tries to make itself to the church. And if it makes itself to the church, it will burn it down and it will destroy the entire town and killing a bunch of uh, teenage boys along the way, which, you know, thumbs up here. <laughs> so, Matt, if you like occasional spurts of top shelf violence, even if fleeting, and you're a fan of potentially an underbaked riff of the lottery, I think Dark Harvest may be the film for you. What are your thoughts on it? You know what? Um, I was bored with this thing. I was having a lot of fun with it. I think there's yeah. a lot to like here. I think it's a got a relative. It's got a creepy atmosphere. I think uh, the gore when it comes, as you say, it's fleeting. But when it's there, it hits. It's good, and it's uh, yeah. and the creature design. You know what? For being probably a zero budget movie, is pretty cool. I mean, it looks pretty good, and. You know, the kind of vibe of the town with, like, the kind of endless uh, sea of corn going from, you know, horizon to horizon is just kind of all creepy and off-putting. And this the whole vibe of something is just not quite right is is just uh, sets the right tone for this thing. And it's, it's for the most part, really fun. Now, I'm not going to say it doesn't have its flaws. There are some mm-hmm. things that I wish I was. I'm not on board with the kind of smash cut ending. I wish I could have gotten maybe a little bit more. Um, I don't think they kind of adequately explain a lot of the, like what exactly is going on with the town. Like, why are they doing these things kind of thing? I think that could have been fleshed out a lot more now. Granted, you know, that could have been a detriment, but I, I am curious to know more about this town and why things are the way they are, but they never really solved that. But I guess those are minor complaints. I mean, it's a, low budget B horror movie that delivers everything it promises to do that you're going to have a fun time watching it. Yeah. I can't really disagree with you at all. I think it does kind of tele telegraph its twist way too early. Yeah. 
I think it's pretty obvious what happens, right? right? Almost right in the, in the first like five, 10 minutes of the film. But it doesn't kind of take away your enjoyment. Like I said, if you like seeing teenagers kind of slaughtered by this weird monster type thing, then I think you're going to get what you're looking for, just like Matt said. So mm. I think it certainly is entertaining enough for that type of thing. Did you catch the uh, post-credits or mid-credits scene as well? It no, kind of I didn't. potentially I didn't, sets I up a sequel? Yeah, I... I just assumed that most normal films don't have post-credit scenes, so I didn't. I didn't even check to see if there was one. So no, I didn't. But I can go back and check, you know, at some point. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think you should. So basically, what happens is when our last victim, you know, dies at the end of the film, mm. he gets he gets his turn. Yeah, as Sawtooth Jack. Right. And a family member shows up and basically tells him, "Go burn down the town." Right. And then he walks, kind of starts to walk off or lights up or whatever. And then that's when it cuts. And uh, it made me like, all right, I want to see that film. I want to see (laughs) the body count go up. I want to see the town decimated. I want to see the raw carnage that supposedly is teased by this little um, mid-credit sequence there. It it got me even more jazzed up. And I'd like, like Matt said... I'd like to see what's going on. Why are we doing this? I understand mystery and a lot of times the stuff you, you it's not really integral to the plot of the film, mm. but I think if you're going to spend time building this kind of world up, right. then I think we need to have some kind of information as to how we got here and why. And maybe that's something they could explore in the sequel. Also too, I was expecting to be like an almost M night Shyamalan uh, twist where this would actually was taking place in a town in modern times. Right. And exactly. just that for them, it was always the sixties. Yeah. You know? Right. That's, I mean, that's what I was expecting. Like, it's completely cut off or something, and it's like, that's why nobody can leave or anything like that, because it's, you know, a town lost a time because of some horrible pact they made or something like that, which is yeah. probably what it'll end up being, but I still want to know. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah, so there's some... Yeah, good. Fine, Matt. I I, I enjoyed it. I gave Dark Harvest a, uh, a B. Yeah, uh, for what it is, uh, as a... B horror movie that's a creature feature with uh, Mm -hmm. uh, that's all about suspense and gore I I think it's a a B film as well and what's funny is when you mentioned that this was a story I looked it up and what's funny is I have a Kindle and I buy things obsessively especially when they go on sale I bought this this story or I bought this book 10 years ago and I never read it so now I'll have to go (laughs) back and and uh, pull it out and see uh, and give it a give it a go now that I know what's going to happen yeah, it'd be good to see how different it is, how it's changed or anything. Yeah, you'll have to report back to us, Matt. So that'd be fun. If you had a chance to see Dark Harvest, you can currently uh, rent it or buy it on all your streaming services right now. Uh, shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. It was so crazy how Daniel Plainville he was. It looked curvy. It was just so crazy over the top in this film. <laughs> but it's entertaining. Yeah. Well, I'm talking like Shatner level of line delivery in some of these scenes. Just Well, nothing's quite Devouring the scenery. Yeah. Although I, I would like to point out, thank you for pointing me in the direction of that uh, made-for-TV serial killer thing with Chef's Kiss as far as the trailer goes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. great. Yeah. I still haven't watched it. But, uh, yeah, I got to add it to the list, of course. Oh, add it to the list. It's on the list. I own it now. All right. Let's go ahead, Matt, and close out the show with a, uh, a round of Who Dat. Well, isn't this a surprise, Felix? James. Here's the blown. Logan S. State Department. It's really nice to meet you. I've heard a lot about you. I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. Police um, boy. I need a favor, brother. You didn't get the memo. I'm retired. I wouldn't ask if you were still in a Majesty service. What does that mean? 
Our elected leaders aren't playing nice in the sandbox. James. Is there somewhere quiet where we can talk in private? Quiet? Yeah. Matt, that's a clip from No Time to Die, the uh, last James Bond film featuring mm. Daniel Craig. Mm-hmm. came out in 2021. Okay. You are Barbara Broccoli. Okay, of course. came out like, yesterday, today, whatever, that you're at least three to four years away from a new Bond film. Like, development. Like, we're just... There's so much they have to do for this reboot, I guess. They're trying to figure out what the new version of Bond is. Like, Craig's was the Bond for the 21st century. So now we got to figure out what the next one's going to be. And we're talking at least three to four years for the develop this before we can make the film and put it out. Okay. This one came out in 2021. Yeah. This will be the longest gap, potentially. Because it'll probably take two years to make right as well who knows from start to finish what 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 do you what do you do in the may <laughs> well chris why does it take, you used to churn one out every year to two years well now james bond has a lot of competition in the action universe you've got your mission impossible series your john wicks there's a lot going on out there and we want to make sure that you know as well as the films did there was an undercurrent of them maybe underperforming and that there may be a little bit of fatigue with this. So we want to take our time. We want to make sure that people are as excited to see the next bond as we are to present it. And we feel that the, we don't want to rush a product out just to put something out and have it there in the, in the universe or out in the collective consciousness without it being the right thing. We're just being thoughtful. Yeah, supposedly, too, we're definitively not doing any expanded universe, which I thought was interesting because I thought when Amazon bought the rights that they would mm. do something. And I'm surprised, too, they're fine with waiting like four or five years for a new film after spending all that money for right. distribution rights on stuff. But uh, whatever. But I still, too, I think we should still. I was all excited potentially for like a Felix Leiter show. You can reboot that, recast that. You know, I think that'd be fine. But still, no, no nothing. I'm, I don't want to have an expanded universe just to cash in. I think there's a lot of stuff in the Bond universe that'd be interesting exploring, but I'd want it to be done well. Now I haven't seen that Lord of the Rings show, but I hear mm-hmm. it's not terribly good. It's not. So maybe maybe it's a good thing that we're right. not doing an expanded Bond universe because it would just <laughs> upset me. But to have to wait this long, I so Tom Hardy's clearly out then. I don't think right. Aaron Taylor Johnson would probably be too old by then it's, yeah. as well. So I think we're gonna all these guests. I think that we had thrown out at one point for the new Bond. Throw them all out. I, I have no idea what we're going to do now. Yeah, it's going to be somebody that we don't we'd like a complete unknown at this point. You know, someone who's very still very early in their career by the time that they decide who it's going to be. Yeah. Oh well. All right. Who am I? Uh, you're Jimmy Hollywood, the the head of Hollywood, uh, the the CEO of all things cinema. What lessons are you taking from? the Taylor Swift concert film success, as well as the follow-up success, reissue success of Stop Making Sense. What are the lessons you, Jimmy Hollywood, who's so good at taking the lessons that you get from these films and what are you learning from them and how are you applying them? I'm going to assume nothing. I I think the problem is that Taylor Swift is a phenomenon. I I don't know if that's easily repeatable in any Mm. capacity. Maybe there'll be another big pop icon in the future, uh, but I don't, oof, I don't know. I guess you look at some of how the, like the, 
has Stop Making Sense really done that well, or has it just got a lot of critical acclaim? Um, I read somewhere that it was doing pretty well for a reissue of a long since broken up band. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the numbers are on that, but. And it's interesting. It's an interesting idea as well, considering how expensive it is to go to concerts nowadays. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're basically priced out of stuff. Like, I wanted to go see Aerosmith and Black Rose because it's supposedly the final tour for Aerosmith. Though I guess it canceled a bunch of dates because I guess Tyler has some kind of illness. But it it's like eight hundred dollars, six hundred dollars for like nosebleed seats, right? You know, and I just I'm not I'm just not I'm not paying that. That's insane to me. So what have we learned from this, Matt? Um. But remember, and you're supposed to be Jimmy Hollywood, not reasonable crispy the Scalzo. You're supposed to be uh, right. <laughs> Jimmy. <laughs> well, first off, I'm very excited about the uh, In Sync reunion. Mm-hmm. I think we can definitely cash in on that. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can get some of those uh, uh, moms of the Swifties to kind of repeat that and bring their kids with them, their daughters with them, and start that whole boy band thing all over again. Which is again another mass market thing, which just means more money in our pockets. Right. And, uh, yeah, maybe we could get some older other concert films, too. Like, people went out and saw the uh, David Bowie 50th anniversary. Not as many, I'm assuming, as stopped making sense, but some of us did. And, listen, it's another way to make money, and all we have to do is pay for a a uh, remaster of a, of a film. We don't have to pay anybody else, new actors, new development, new storylines, new nothing. Then, yeah, I think we're all in. Start looking next year, Matt, for... Uh, the uh, re-release of, I don't know, Queen Live at Wembley 86. I have no idea. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I well, I for one expect you to fully lean into um, what the kids are listening to this day. So I look forward to having a slew of K-pop uh, mm. uh, concert films coming out. You know, a good Travis Scott concert film. Whatever the kids are into these days. I look forward to watching uh bad bunny on 4k in imax oh yeah that's definitely gonna happen right mm-hmm. yeah all right maybe we'll get some kiss meets the phantom I have no idea. <laughs> if only matt you're tom cruise congratulations thank you mission impossible 8 is dropping dead reckoning part 2 as its title okay. and is moving to 2025 right i thought you were all about saving cinema why are you doing this to us well the issue is is that we have more shooting to do, and while I'm all about saving cinema, while COVID is was going on, I can't in good conscience, especially just realistically, with the one-two punch of the writer strike and then SAG-AFTRA is still on strike, getting all of this back up and running, assuming... Whenever this finishes, you know, the reshoots, the final scenes we need to do, plus all the editing and everything like that, it's just we would never realistically get it out in time. As much as I wanted to, but I can't I can't be a scab for, you know, and and try and push this film through. That's just not right. Uh, so I, I have to stick with, you know, uh, my lessened-lightened actors, uh, brothers and sisters... <laughs> You now just waiting for them to understand come to the light of Xenu and uh but until then I'm gonna support them as much as I can. That's good for you. Good for you. What about dropping the name? What's the point of do- building all this up for Dead Reckoning Part One to then drop that? Is it gonna be confusing for people? Well on on 
release on re-release uh when dead reckoning comes out i will quickly drop the part one and it'll just be dead reckoning and then you know nobody will notice it'll be fine people will forget very quickly yeah, you're probably right about that we'll do like a little um edge of tomorrow mm-hmm. live die repeat type exactly scenario. exactly that's good i like that all right all right so your director extraordinaire matthew vaughn you recently went on record saying what Disney needs to do with Star Wars is do a reboot. And what he means by that, or what you mean by that, Mr. Vaughn, is is Obi-Wan Kenobi, Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker, yeah. recast them, reboot it, yes. restart from the beginning. So, Mr. Vaughn, what are you smoking and what can I, where can I get some? Can you please explain to me how you think that's a good idea? I love, too, that people... Say like the, from the twisted mind of Matthew Vaughn, <laughs> as if almost everything I've adapted didn't have some other source material before right. I came along. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. People, Matt, don't want original stories. They want to see what they know, and they just want to see that story retold again. All right, that's all it is. People love cover songs, right? So let's to make a cover movie. We can reboot this stuff. We can even use some of the same actors. You wouldn't you want to see Adam Driver as Darth Vader instead of uh, Kylo whatever Ren. the heck his name was, yeah, Kylo sure. Ren uh-huh. as Darth something? I don't know. <laughs> That'd be much cooler, wouldn't it? Yeah, it, yeah. Uh, I I tend to not agree with you, Mister Vaughn, on this one. I think uh, I've been on record as saying that the only good Star Wars films, I mean, as a whole are the the original George Lucas ones. I will not abide and I cannot abide this uh prequel apology tour that the youngins who were 6 when they saw it had telling me that it's a good movie when I know factually that it's not. I have seen a good movie, sir and or madam, and I can't wait and I with with twisted glee when the people who saw the new trilogy when they were 6 or 7 years old are having the same conversation about how it's actually good. And you know it's really it's really misunderstood genius like the prequels are. I this franchise as much as I love it as much as I you know love a lightsaber I don't I just can't. There's just it's people just do not know what they're doing with this franchise and it drives me freaking up the wall. Like Ahsoka was not even that good. Not even that I wasn't super into those films anyway or those shows. The best part of that was Ray Stevenson. And he's not going to, and he unfortunately passed away. Balin's Skull was the most interesting thing on that entire show. I'm pissed off about it. I'm sorry. I'm rambling. I haven't seen it. So, let me, yeah, but here's where I'm going to blow up your whole point. Sure. You're going to tell me that the lightsaber battles in any of those first three films can sniff like oh, no, any they of the can't. stuff that we've seen since? No, they can't. They can't. But as a. What about the end of Rogue One? When Vader comes in, works his way through the ship, killing That's everybody. Badass. The bad, I think Rogue One is great. I'm just saying that if you take, if you take, and I, I, I'm, I like, I think Han, the Solo movie was unfairly maligned, but the prequel trilogy is terrible. The sequel trilogy, with maybe the exception of the middle as a film in and of itself, is bad, but. The film in the middle kind of derailed everything. Thanks, Ryan Johnson. Uh, but I, I just I those I the 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 films proper, the continuation of that original story is just not good. Not good. Hmm. Give me the give me. Do you have it? Do you have it ready? 
Not good. No, no. Very bad. Oh, no, of course not. Oh, you want that? I don't even know if I have that one anymore. Everything's right. messed up. I have to redo my soundboard. Oh, All right. right. This is for no you. No good. Really bad for you. Uh, not good. Believe me, not good. <laughs> you, you, that's right, folks. Believe him. That's not good. Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> so... All right, that's yeah. No, I don't know what the heck that guy said. Listen, I love layer cake. I still do, but I yeah. No, I don't. I don't understand. Matt, here's my last one for you. Okay. I saw this clip on Twitter, and I just you're this guy. I want you to respond to explain to me what you're saying here because I just wanted to punch you in the face. Then I think Martin Scorsese movies are like going to the DMV. I get it. There's a purpose. There's a reason I'm here. Yeah, I got to renew my license. You got to do it every once in a I while. I got to do it every once in a while. It's never not been tedious. Yeah. And yeah, Wolf of Wall Street's really fun for an hour. And then you pause it to go to the bathroom and you realize you got two more hours. And then it's a it's brutal to get through. That's how this movie is, but it's not even fun. He's talking about you are talking about Killers of the Flower Moon. <laughs> okay. It's not, even, it's not even fun. What are you talking about? Defend yourself. I mean... Look, there's no lightsaber battles. It's three and a half hours long. <laughs> I, I, I need gunfu, right? I mean, John Wick is the pinnacle of all crime storytelling. I think that the Star Wars prequels are modern masterpieces. They are like on the Mount Rushmore of film. Sure, honestly, like like I said, my completely not insane take is that every Martin Scorsese film is a chore and none of them are worth watching. And anyone who says contrary is an idiot. Like top five, like, like some of his, some of the greatest movies ever made impossible. They're all tedious and shitty. I don't even, Robert De Niro's not good either. That's, I'm going to throw that out there as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I don't know the cat, cat's name is, uh, I'm, I'll just go with Jimmy. Uh, or Dave, Fred. I like Dave. Ignatius. I think Dave. I think Dave fits. Dave from the Escape Pod podcast, and I just saw that on Twitter. They somebody tweeted it out and said, "Listen, I don't believe in bullying, but <laughs> <laughs> I kind of want to go. I mean, hate listen to their podcast and see what they consider a good movie, so that I can really come with the receipts on to like fight them on Twitter. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, let's do that for next week. That'll be fun." <laughs> That'll be, yeah, yeah. All right, good. We got anything else for me? We good? Yeah, uh, yeah. I have one more. Um, your Stevie streaming service. So, are these uh, prestige films with these short turnarounds where you buy something up and put it out there in the theater with a quick thirty-day uh, turnaround time? Is that how you're going to take over and kill the theater experience finally? Right. So, what 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 what's happening with that? Re- like something just came out and is oh, Exorcist Believer. I think mm. has like a two-week window basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, man, we don't want to kill the theaters. We want to, you know, we'll let, we'll let the superhero films and all that stuff kind of prop things up and then we can put our films out for like a week, get the Oscar nom attention, give ourselves some respectability and then we can do another season of the morning show or, uh, whatever. And then, um, try and uh, justify all the money we're burning through like over at Apple or whatever. Mm. I can't, I can't imagine that Apple TV is making a dime. They must be just burning cash like uh, RoboCop when they blow up that truck or something with all the money and they burn, they burn the fucking money. I don't think any of these, I'm, I don't see how any of them are making money. Disney plus is not making money. I, 
Amazon doesn't need them to make money, but I guarantee you Prime's not making them any money as far as a streaming service goes. Yeah. The only reason anybody has it is because it's tacked on to something that everybody wants and free delivery and quick delivery and stuff like that. I'm seriously considering canceling like Amazon. Uh, I don't know if I can do Disney because I, I gift it to my niece and nephews sure. for Christmas every year. Sure. So that's going up, I guess, which I'm not happy about. Right. And then there's a couple shows Mrs. First Run watches on Netflix uh, that just have new seasons. But I, I may start hopping. Are you? You know, when something comes out, yeah, maybe buy it for a month, watch that show or whatever. And then, like, I can't go out my Great British Bake Off. All right, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. But if they're going to go up to, like, 15, 20 bucks a month, yeah. pretty high. Well, I guess here's the thing. I mean, honestly, part of me says... I can afford it, right? I mean, you can afford it too. You you can. I mean, yeah. that's that's yeah. that's not uh, anything. That's true. That that matters. And honestly, if people start doing that, they're gonna come up with some way to prevent that from happening. Or maybe they'll stop giving you a month option that you can only sign up for a three month minimum or something like that. Uh, I don't mm. know what they'll do, but I haven't reached my breaking point yet. Although I I have a lot of streaming services like you know Prime. The Disney Plus bundle with Hulu, Netflix, I get Shudder, which I hold on to for some reason. Um, And honestly, I watch almost none of it. Like, even with the stuff that I really like, Paramount Plus, I watch one show that I really like on it. And then, like, I won't watch it again until I'm still paying for it, even though... You know, stuff's still yet to come up. I'm just waiting for the seasons that I like or a new show that I like to come up. It's, it's strange. Yeah. It's bizarre. I think, too, I think I watched something on the Criterion channel. I haven't watched that a lot. I watched something. I watched two things in the last month and a half on that. Yeah. I don't think I'd watch anything on it for like two, three months prior to yeah. that. Yeah. And, and, but, and Criterion is expensive. It's like 30 bucks a month, isn't it? I don't think it's quite that. I buy, I buy the annual plan though too, okay. so it's a little cheaper. Sure. And they get discounts. Like I get a ten dollar gift card for them, like once or t- like twice a year. Yeah. yeah to yeah. use on, on their store, and they have the six percent off sales. Da, 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 da. So anyway, yes, Matt. The, I don't. I don't see. I don't know if they're actively. Uh, were we actively trying to kill the theaters, or we just think we're going to what the audience demands, which is just streaming stuff or being able to watch stuff from home. Right. You got that. And trying niche. to maximize those profits because if if I. If I can sell it directly to you, right. instead of them going to the theaters and let them get a cut, then that's yeah. what I'm going to do. That's right. my highest return. Right, right. Yeah, I think there's still going to always going to be a market. I think you know going to the movies is an event. You know, people like to go out as as you know on a date or just as a night out or whatever. And there's there's always going to be room for it. I just think there's going to be a lot more turnover. There's going to be a lot more churn. I think. Things like your Marvel movies, your Star Wars, your Taylor Swifts will obviously stay up in the theaters, but. You know, honestly, I mean, I think as we discussed earlier, I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be just as happy to watch Killers of the Flower Moon, which people want to see, but they're going to be fine to wait for it until it comes out on on Apple Plus and they can stream it from the comfort of their own home and have as many sips of pop as they want and can pause it and go to the bathroom kind of thing. I am kind of curious what's going to happen to like the holdovers. We have that kind of mid-budget adult film, yeah. you know, like how that's going to, Alexander Payne's new movie, which I think we're gonna try and do for next week but that's the kind of film that i think is that's that the most at risk yeah is the mid-budget adult dramatic comedy kind of fair stuff sure not to mention the mid-budget uh super weird horror movie like i don't see uh what's that what's what was that film with them that i hate me got with me a goth on it <laughs> that you that you love <laughs> i don't know if i loved it but infinity pool yeah that's right 
That stuff's not gonna be out there. Don't you do it, you son of a bitch. Do not do it. Yeah! <laughs> Is it the short yeah! one at least? No, it's not. You son of a bitch. Yeah, little baby! <laughs> got my chair squeaking there too. I got a WD-40, the son of a gun. Or oh, you got a new chair. Yeah, no. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's tired, Matt. Let's 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 wrap up the show. Okay. I think that's good. Sure. Who would you like to be in this crazy mixed up world? Shoot us an email at feedback at the first run.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Matt, what's coming up on the big show next week? I may have spoiled it. You uh said the holdovers, which is on the list here. Uh I went ahead and looked to see what availability is. One showing on two o'clock on Sunday as a early access uh uh showing. Ooh. So um I Maybe guess if that's what we're going with, I have. I guess I have two o'clock booked on Sunday as, as what I'm going to be doing. Um, otherwise, I don't know what we're going to watch. Uh, I can tell you uh, that five, my, five Nights at Freddy's. Is yes, the big uh, release, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna have to watch that because my daughter was at one point in her younger life super into that. So we are going to watch it together. Uh, so I will be seeing that. And if even if Chris doesn't, I'll give you the lowdown at the very least. There's also that freelance movie with John Cena and yeah, right? Allison Brie. Mm-hmm. I do like but, Miss uh, Allison Brie and John Cena. Indeed. Yeah, maybe then Five Nights at Freddy's. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> Didn't you see the Banana Splits movie, which was basically like a ripoff of that? Yeah, that was bad. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. This looks bad too, but uh, we shall see. All right, and the second film is up in the air. We don't quite know what's happening there mm-hmm. yet. As usual, so. par for the course. They are. In the meantime, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Um, I think I'm forgetting one. Facebook, Instagram, because I'm never on Facebook anymore. I don't even know why I tell you. Don't even worry about Facebook. Twitter? Just, <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> Twitter, sure. Do a search for the first run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually you'll find us. Head over to Apple Podcasts. Give us a review. Help other people find the show. And then thefirstrun.com. We can find archives of all the old shows and an outdated report card. And uh, I guess that's going to be it this week, Matt. So uh, why don't we uh, go ahead and take an extended break. We love you all very much. Take care of yourselves. And we will see you soon. Sergeant at Arms. Do your duty. Now on your Delta Tau, Kai name is... Weasel. Uh, now on, your name is Mothball. Kroger, your Delta Tau Kai name is Pinto. Why Pinto? Why not? What's my Delta Tau Kai name? Dorfman, you've given this a lot of thought. From now on, your name is Flounder. Flounder? 